You're welcome to turn with me to the Gospel of John as we celebrate Pentecost today. We'll walk through portions of chapter 14. Uh, Last week we celebrated Ascension, uh, and today we celebrate Pentecost. Last week we talked about it takes uh, faith to believe that we are ascended in Christ, that we dwell in the heavenly places with our God in Jesus Christ. And today we see it takes faith to believe that Jesus descends to dwell with us, that Jesus is in fact present in our daily lives through the person and work of His Holy Spirit. Ascension precedes Pentecost, but of course both are true of us at the same time. We dwell in the presence of our God through the ascended Christ. At the same time, He descends to dwell with us in His Spirit. And this is Scripture's witness for us, from all the way from Genesis, where it says that God walked in the, the cool of the garden day with His people, all the way to Revelation, where it says, Behold, God's dwelling place is with man. Humanity is only ever fully and truly home in the presence of our God. And the good news for us today is that the Spirit has given us that we might be at home here in this world. That Christ is with us, that Christ is for us, that Christ is in us, that Christ goes before us, because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So this day of Pentecost, let us offer up prayers together to our God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word, which is living and active, and we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us in ever-increasing measure, that our hearts might be softened, that we might be convicted of sin, that we might draw comfort from your, your, your spirit, knowing that you are present with us. So lead us, guide us, comfort us, and grant us the life of Christ, that we might grant that life or bear that life as witness to others. Draw near to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So John 14 is uh, in an upper room. Jesus is in an upper room uh, where he promises the Spirit to be sent to strengthen his disciples, that they might know the peace of Jesus, that the Spirit would help them to to rise from their place, to, to go and to serve a glorious God in a hungry world. And that promise of Jesus to send his Spirit is fulfilled in large part at the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, I'll just read that again for us. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The church throughout the world today celebrates Pentecost. It's the fire of God, the Spirit of God that fills His body throughout the world. Now, Pentecost is a harvest celebration. There's seven weeks plus one day. There's seven weeks of seven days. The image of those numbers means that there's, since the first fruits have been gathered in, there's a a fullness, a quantitative fullness as Pentecost rolls around. We can think of Pentecost as a, an exercise of feasting in gratitude for God's provision. That feasting in gratitude is coupled with, with the, the hope and trust that God will continue to provide still more and more. 
That's in part why we do a bonfire tonight. I'm not sure hot dogs quite get at the feasting element there, but that's the idea behind it. We gather to feast and celebrate God's provision in hope and trust that He will continue to provide. For the Christian church, Pentecost comes seven full weeks plus one day after Easter. There's a a fullness, a maturity in resurrection life as the people of God are constituted in the body of Christ who is then to be broken and given for the life of the world. So the church at Pentecost is commanded by Christ at the end of our gospel passage. He says to rise, to rise, to go forward in the power of the Spirit, to serve in the Spirit. And that can be a little frightening and perhaps unsettling unless we embrace the reality that Jesus dwells with us in the here and the now through His Spirit. That He is making His home with us in the here and now. And that is our hope, to rise, to go, and to serve. But that rising, going, and serving, there's, there's, there's challenge in that for followers of Jesus as we seek to do that daily. Because there's a nagging anxiety that we've been left as orphans. And Jesus addresses this as He prepares to depart from His disciples. He addresses this nagging uh, feeling of, of being orphans. He says in verse 18 of John 14. So John 14 verse 18 says this. He promises, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Jesus addresses this anxiety of, of orphanness that is the human experience. Both human experience and the Holy Scriptures tell us that that we as human beings have been orphaned by sin. And since the fall, we've been longing, longing, and longing for home. As we've been exiled from the garden, we have an insatiable thirst for community. We search for intimate, lasting, familial rest. We long, we long for home. Our poets and our songwriters tell us this all the time, affirming our daily experience. See, an orphan is without family name, seem so, untethered from any family home, is acquainted intimately with isolation, and I think the pandemic rhythms of this last year and so on, these realities have have thrust this experience upon us more pointedly. There seems to be an uncertainty in the past, in the present, for our future. And on some level, the the whole of the Christian life feels a bit orphan-like. That's what the disciples are anticipating. We'll be feeling soon as Jesus says, I'm going away. Well, what, where are we going to be? What are we going to do? As the, as the followers of, of Jesus, we, we have this sense of, of homelessness, that this world is not our home fully. Something's wrong at home. We pray to a God that we don't see with our own eyes or feel with our own hands. We serve a Savior who is not physically, in our midst. See, the disciples here will soon miss their north star. And they begin to ask, well, how will we navigate life without Jesus in our midst? Chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Jesus said he'll talk to the Father, and the Father's going to send a helper. 
Now, we don't know God's mysterious will in all situations, but we know enough from His Word to live and to grow in the image of Jesus. Jesus says, talks about His Word here, His commands. His commands are the path to righteousness, the Word which lights the way for us and for the world. Love for Him is expressed in obedience to His command or to His Word. And as we celebrate Pentecost, we think of words, we think of speech, don't we? The Spirit gives speech to the disciples in languages unknown to the disciples, but recognized by the crowds, although the crowds don't re- uh, attribute a miraculous event to the Spirit. We know that the story which Jesus promised in chapter 14 of John comes to fullness or fruition in Acts chapter 2. He promises the Spirit and He delivers as the Father sends the Spirit. John 14, 16 says, I will ask the Father and He will give another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is promising a Spirit-empowered service for the disciples. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is that God is descending in flame. He's hovering over the disciples in His Spirit, that the Spirit of truth is giving word, and that word is then moving through obedient vessels. These obedient vessels are loving Christ as they speak His truth. Though the tongue sounded confusing as they go out from their upper room to preach and declare the truth in the gospel, those tongues, those languages were recognized. Nations were now united under one word, one spirit of truth. So the image we have at Pentecost is that the Tower of Babel and that curse is being undone. The curse is being reversed. See, at Babel, God descended in order to curse man's rebellion and unfettered hubris. But now in this upper room with the disciples, nations are divided, that are divided once again have now been united. And they go out and then the, the, the nations begin to hear with one voice, God's voice once again. Pentecost celebrates the reversing of Babel's curse, where God is now reconciling all nations to Himself through His Son. And this is the Spirit's doing. The Spirit is empowering the body of Christ to bear fruit, kingdom fruit. Babel is undone here while creation is redone. In the same way we think of God descending at the Tower of Babel, we think of the Spirit hovering over creation as we read Acts chapter 2. In the same way that the Spirit hovered over the darkness and void at creation, so the Spirit hovers over Jesus' disciples in the darkness of fear and the void of His presence. Upon Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, the new heavens and the new earth are beginning to take form and shaped through God's new humanity, the new humanity formed in the Spirit. As the Spirit hovers over the disciples, He is forming the light of the world, empowering them for holy dominion. And all of this takes place with Jesus absent, at least physically absent. I'm sure the disciples were confused at all of this. They're purposeful in their activity, but anxious. And they remember Jesus' promise from the upper room. He's saying, I will not leave you as orphans. 
Though you live in a world that does not recognize me, Jesus goes on to say, though many will reject my truth, will scoff at my commands, your work in serving me will be costly. You will be rejected for my truth, scoffed at, mocked. You will bear fruit, but only amongst weeds. I will not leave you, said Jesus. I will not leave you. I will send a helper. And mysterious, though the third person of the Trinity be, we know that he is given by the Father through the Son to help. The helper is come. Look at verse 25 of John 14. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, Pentecost is a celebration that though Jesus is physically absent from us in the flesh, he can be known. The Spirit convicts of sin, doesn't he? We pray, search me, O God, and know me, try me, forgive me. The Spirit calls to mind Jesus' person and work. That's what he promises here in verse 25 and 26. And the Spirit comforts in our affliction. Jesus promises, my peace I leave to you. This, the Spirit's work is mysterious, isn't it? As Jesus said in John, earlier in John, he compares the Spirit to the wind, where we don't see it, but we see the effects of it. We see a tree bend and we see a soul bend. We see a, a tree break, we see a, a soul break. And so it is with Jesus' helper, the Spirit, that he blows as he will. Verse 27 of chapter 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now, of course, Jesus promises peace. And that peace is not an absence of affliction. It is not a sorrow-free life. Followers of Jesus will continue to feel like orphans at times. That's why Jesus gives the promise, I will not leave you as orphans. They will long for Jesus, but often they will know silence or absence. At times they will be rejected, be despised by others. And so we have the similar experience, don't we? So in order to obey Jesus' command where he says, let not your hearts be troubled, we need his helper, the Holy Spirit. I mean, how else could the apostles continually bear fruit through the book of Acts or Paul sustain such abuse and disappointment or the early church not succumb to disunity or division? See, there is a better and lasting inheritance for those in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is our deposit, our seal the promised first fruits. Jesus leaves his peace in the form of the Father-sent Spirit in order that Jesus would make his home in our lives as we await his final return. Verse 29, Jesus says, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. He's strengthening his disciples for his absence. Like the disciples we trust that the Spirit will call to mind the words of Jesus and His promises. In the same way that they gathered in the upper room with fire of Spirit descending on them, that we would be reminded of another upper room where they shared their feast with the one whom they desire most now to see. Because in that upper room story, Jesus promised us helper. And now that the helper has come, the disciples are emboldened in their word of truth, and they are strengthened to serve. 
Now the peace of Christ is inhabited by many tribes, tongues, and nations. And that same spirit of truth moves in us. When he's talking about remembrance here, it's more than something cognitive happening here. When he's talking about remembering the words and the actions of himself, he's encouraging the disciples to believe in him, that their life might be a form of prayer, faith in action, that the Spirit will call to mind the work and the promises of Jesus, that they would trust that as God has acted through his Son in the past, he will continue to act in the present and in the future. So we could take our baptism, for instance. See, we're baptized with water and the Word in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, whether or not we can remember the sermon text of the day or the, the temperature of the water which, was, uh, which we were baptized with, whether we can accurately recall the strength of our faith and belief in those days, to remember our baptism is something we are called to be and to do. It's to hold fast to the promises that are held out to us in our baptism. At the very least, we are given into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The triune God has put His name on us in baptism. The work of the Spirit is not tied inextricably to that moment. But yet, if there's no work of the Spirit, then what are we doing baptizing into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? So, to remember our baptism, it means that in times of fear and anxiety... We recall the promises granted to us in baptism, that we belong to one who has put his name on us. To remember our baptism at times of indifference or rejection of Jesus is to hold fast to the promises that, that in, in baptism we are not our own. We have been bought with a price, and there is danger in turning from the one who calls us and washes us in his name. Anxiety over sin is weakened when we recall in our baptism we've got promises of, of washing, of cleansing from sin, its power, its guilt, its shame. But whatever it is to keep in step with the Spirit, it is at least this, the act of faith holding fast to the promises of Jesus and obedience to His Word. Not as a means of entrance into His presence, but as a response of His Spirit's descending, His Spirit's coming confident that through the Spirit, He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion upon the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unless we think the Spirit descends to serve us individually only, or that we've been given the Spirit to merely have a lovely one-on-one -on -one relationship, Jesus ends this passage by commanding His disciples this way. Verse 31, I do as the Father commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. He says, rise let us go from here. The Spirit is given to empower the body to serve our head and our King. When Jesus invites the disciples to rise and to go, what is He inviting them into? What is the life that they are called to inhabit? Well, look where they go. They go from this place to a, a, a garden where there is ardent prayer, and yet they fail their Savior. They're going to a place of betrayal of closest of friends and abandonment by all. They're rising to go to a place of mockery, of false trial. They rise to go to a place of suffering, to the cross, and eventually to an empty tomb. And all of this without the home of their king who now departed them. But yet at his ascension, 
These orphans do what they were trained to do by this king, and they ascend into an upper room once again, where the word of Jesus comes to fruition through his spirit. See, they rise from their ascended Savior, who invites, and then they invite him to descend and to lead them once again. And Jesus, through his spirit, does. Jesus descends in his spirit to alight the lives of these disciples. See, Jesus promised, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. But from the first Pentecost until his return, he continues to prepare a place for him in our lives in this world. He makes his home with us, with his people, wherever we dwell. For as Paul says elsewhere, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We who bear the name of Christ have been anointed with his Holy Spirit the Spirit inhabiting flesh through the body of Christ. We become His light as a light to the world, shining brightly the way of grace that leads us home. So people of God, we walk in the absence of Jesus physically present with us, and yet we are not left as orphans. We have been given the Spirit to teach us, to lead, convict, comfort, and compel us, ours now is to shine in the darkness of a world orphaned in sin because Jesus lights us up in the gift of his spirit so that we can go forth as lights to the world. And that light is one in which no trial, no suffering can ever snuff out, for we are lit by the risen and ascended Christ who is reconciling all things to God. Praise our triune God, for we are at home in the presence through the Spirit that we might be at home now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the gift of your Spirit. And as you have called us unto yourself, as you have anointed us with your Spirit, washed us in the waters of baptism, draw near to us that we might know your conviction of sin and that we might know comfort in the midst of affliction. Lead us as our good shepherd, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.